What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Yeah, the rights remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? And the wolf is at your door. You're running so that's for sure. This episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that of a sexual nature and should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or for some television show. The facts I'm retelling you were presented to me by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My descriptions of the crime scenes, what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. Today, we're going to continue the longest series I ever did, it's so important, y'all. Death penalty. I think this is phase nine. Picking up right where the defense were was in their closing arguments. We're going to do those, and then we're going to do the rebuttal from the state of Louisiana um, about putting Eric Mickelson to death. If you've not listened to this podcast series yet, you need to go back and listen to it because I'll tell you step-by-step step exactly what was said in the courtroom. So let's get started. And this is, again, the defense uh, um, continuing their closing arguments. Last thing they get to say before the jury gets to vote for life or death. So back to it. Now, let's talk about some of the things that I guess I would call the problem areas. I'll be honest with you. From the defense standpoint, we always worry about jurors hanging on to the facts. I guess 
you would call it because, frankly, in a first-degree murder case, that's what the state's got going for it. They always have bad facts. We got them in this case. This is a horrible situation. No doubt about it. We've got an 86-year-old man killed in the middle of the night. Later, his body cut up and hidden from the family. And I suspect that that I, that all kind of built for you, but I want to call your attention back to what we talked about in the Wadir during the jury selection process. We tried to warn you a little bit about some of the pictures, and most of you said, that's okay. I can deal with that. So in legal terms, what you were telling us is, I'm not going to be overwhelmed by that. I'm not going to decide this case just because there are gory pictures. I'm still going to look at everything else in there, so I trust that we're still in that situation. The other bad facts, well, the allegation of another murder, something you didn't hear about until the penalty phase. That's just the way the law works. And you heard that from the get-go, from the state, when we started the penalty phase, they said, wait a minute, we got another one. He's done it before. But that was just the state saying that. I've already talked to you about how I think the proof is not there. There is no body. There is a possibility that Jerry Todd Dean did something to her. There's a possibility that she just left and started a new life. So again, I ask you, don't get hung up in that notion that he killed Christy O'Pry. The evidence is simply not there. The state says, well, he confessed to it. And as I talked to you a little bit earlier, that's a hard thing for some people to accept. But again, you got to consider who's doing the talking. And you heard the way Eric talked on the tape. Have you ever heard anything like that? He was talking in circles. He was using what he described as metaphors. Police would ask a simple question, and they'd get a weird paragraph-long response from Eric that really made no sense. There were talks about the riding places. There were talks about Tickets, there, there were any number of things there. In fact, what I want to do is quote some of those for you. I don't think you need page numbers because we're beyond that. But this is from one of his comments to the police. The question is, so did Christy have a ticket? She had several. In the same type of way? Yeah, but she had a slow one too. And she had several slow ones. So where? Like water. Water is a very slow one. It only comes occasionally in certain areas. Not like a river that's always falling, right? That would just an easy moving bus there. Question. So like rain. Answer. There you go. Can somebody tell me what that means? I can't. 
That's an example of what those doctors were talking about. And Eric has his own kind of magical world that he lives in. It is a world of delusions. This means something to Eric, but I defy you to tell me that it means in the real world, and that's that's because this isn't a part of the real world. This is a part of Eric's world. That's the way, I mean, in the vernacular, that's the way a crazy person talks. We're not telling you that Eric is legally insane. Don't get caught up in that. We're not saying that he didn't know the difference between right and wrong. We were suggesting to you is, as the doctor said, he is seriously ill. And that's some evidence of that. I'm not going to read too many of these, but I got another one. Question. Well, man, I appreciate it. I really do. Answer. What's going to happen inevitably ends sooner or later. And that's Eric speaking. What's going to happen inevitably ends sooner or later. Over my head again. Not quite sure what that one was about. Where is this coming from? Combination of drugs and mental problems? Mental disease or defect? Mental illness? Whatever you want to call it. The final one I want to read kind of verifies that. It's Eric talking to the police. When you're up and you're high like that, you don't really get a chance to think about too much other than the moment or where the next buzz is going to be. You don't think about whole things when you're high. Even if you know the person, you're not thinking about them. You didn't see very far. A flame in front of your blurred vision. I don't know. The ride was beautiful. I couldn't have asked for better hosts. Again, I can kind of understand what he's saying there. When you're high, you're really high. And he's one who would know because he spent a lot of time and a lot of money on cocaine. But then when he gets off into even if, you know, the person, period, you're not thinking about them. You don't see very far. A flame in front of your blurred vision. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what ride he's talking about there. I suspect none of you really know what he's talking about there. And keep in mind that Eric's talking to the police when he's telling them everything under the sun. So there's really no sense or no reason to think that he would be faking any of that. At that point, he's telling the police everything he thinks they want to know. I bring this up in the context again. That's because of Eric's mental problems. You can't trust what he says there. What I see going on when he talks about the killing of Christy O'Pry, he, in fact, did kill Charles Martin. He knew how he had killed Charles Martin, and what he's doing is just repeating that or applying that 
on the Christio Pry. That's why they're similar, because it's in his head, because that's what he's been confessing to. That's what he's just done, and so he's going to give the same basic accounts of killing Christy O'Pry. I think we know he's lying in there or making it up simply because they didn't find anything. I mean, there was that one point where he took them there and he was, I really don't want to be responsible for it, but it's just over there. And he gave them all kinds of cryptic comments. They never found anything that could be tied to Christy O'Pry. Never. After listening to Eric, they never found anything. After following Eric's directions, they never found anything. They never found clothing. They never found ID. They never found keys. They never found anything relating to Christy O'Pry. I suspect that's because Eric was just talking. Eric and his delusional world was talking in those circles that you heard on that tape and that the doctors described as well. I apologize for having to check my notes every now and then, but I want to make sure that I say everything that needs to be said. This is my only chance to talk to y'all. We know some things in there are not true. For example, the treehouse, where you heard his mother describe it, is only five feet high. Now, I'm about five foot ten, so that's going to come up to about here. Seven-foot square platform is how she described it, I think. But it was built in 94. He wasn't a child in 94. He talks about it in one place in there about playing in it as a child. Again, that's part of Eric's fantasy world, delusional world. Whatever you want to call it, it's not reality. Even though Eric says it, it's not reality. Uh, a lot of what Eric says in that tape statement is simply not true. It's not reality. Now, we've tried to explain to you how this could happen because I think that's something that jurors always want to know or why. How could somebody like Eric kill an 86-year-old man, and then cut up the body. Never an easy thing to answer. But we tried to do that with the medical testimony from two doctors today. Let me point out first that you know we presented a neuropsychiatrist. I'm sorry, a psychiatrist and a, a neuropsychologist. I hope we did a good enough job of explaining the two differences of the two different disciplines They're because they go about their jobs differently. They have different techniques. In an overall sense, I think they're both trying to do the same thing. 
That is, heal people who have mental problems. The neuropsychologist goes about that differently with tests. The psychiatrist does it differently by thinking about the brain and interviewing the person and figuring out whatever they do as part of what his training as a medical doctor teaches him to do. There's nobody called to say that Dr. Agar or Dr. Beaver were wrong. There was no doctor called to say that they didn't know what they were talking about. There was no doctor called to say Dr. Beaver's testing was wrong. They want to talk about fees. Well, every doctor is paid. I think we all know that. They want to talk about other cases they had done. Does that really tell you anything about this case? Did they dispute that? Did they say because he worked on another case, somehow that affects the way he decided on Eric Mickelson? They can't quibble with the facts that those doctors presented to you. Their opinions are based on fact, and they gave you the facts from which they arrived at those opinions, and the state never really disputed those facts. They wanted to nibble around the edges, but what those doctors told you is still there. In Dr. Agricar's words, Eric is seriously ill. Whether you deem it psychotic, meaning he's got problems staying in touch with reality, whether it's schizophrenia, basically the same thing, but not exactly, or whether the terms they talked about, the problems with focusing, the problems with attention, which you can tell, obviously, from the statement, as well as that you listened to for a long time, Eric, in his mind, wondered. When he would try to answer a question, it would go off in a lot of different areas. The doctors described that as him talking in circles, and I suspect you heard that on the tape as well. Eric not just rambles, but goes way beyond doesn't answer questions because, again, in his view of reality, he is answering the question because he's hearing something different. It's not reality, but Eric thinks it is. They told you he is psychotic. He is paranoid. He has a serious mental illness. And because of that, he cannot think like most people. And I ask both of them, what does the drug usage have to do with any of this? And both indicated that's a serious problem. The world has become a smaller place and people are traveling more freely between countries than ever before. And companies are doing more business outside of their home countries than ever before. The geniuses at Rosetta Stone saw this trend beginning to develop years ago and have dedicated decades toward researching and refining the best and most efficient way to teach someone a new language. 
Rosetta Stone has been one of our most loyal sponsors here at Real Life Real Crime and The Daily Show, and that's because many of you out there have trusted Rosetta Stone to prepare you for everything from a family reunion to a once-in-a-lifetime trip to a business trip in a faraway country. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program in the galaxy. Rosetta Stone's been there for us with a great product at a great price. Rosetta Stone is a trusted expert in language learning for 30 years with millions of users. Rosetta Stone's intuitive process helps you pick up a new language naturally so you retain what you learn, and their true accent speech recognition feature is like having a personal trainer. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and The Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Au revoir. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill when you start doing drugs at a young age it affects your brain because as most of you know and the doctor testified brains are still developing for teenagers it takes a while if you're doing drugs that's going to affect your brain dr beaver talked about the influence of cocaine and how that can take over and affect your thought processes as well, it essentially makes things worse. When you got a mentally ill person taking drugs, that's the worst in the world. I ask, where does all this come from? Why does he have a mental illness? Why does he have schizophrenia? Really hard to say. Probably some genetic component there. But it's not something that he chose. I don't think anybody would choose a mental illness. I don't think anybody would choose to lose touch with reality. It's not something you choose. It's put upon you. It's the way your brain develops, either from birth or from something that happens somewhere along the line. Whether that is running into a train, as one of the doctors described, or some other brain injuries that Dr. Beaver told you about. The bottom line is that Eric cannot think like most people. His brain doesn't work like your brain works. That may be hard for you to accept. I know some people just think these doctors make stuff up. But let's look at the record. If that were the case, wouldn't the state call a doctor to say that he made stuff up? We did the very same test, and it didn't turn out that way. 
Huh. They didn't do that. They told you that Eric could not think beyond the immediate. He can't understand that there are consequences from his actions. I interpret that as Eric takes the easy way out. I suspect we all know people like that. Faced with two different choices, there's an easy way and a hard way. In most cases, Eric chooses the easy way because that requires less thought and because he's really, or he can't really, think about what's going to happen next. He can't think that if I pick a fight with this guy, I may get beat up. He can't think in those terms. He just responds immediately. He takes the easy way. Now, what does that do to the moral culpability? I suggest to you that it should reduce it. If Eric is not responsible for the way his brain works, and that's what the doctors tell you, if his brain does not work like everybody else's, and that's what the doctors tell you, then that means he has less culpability and less control over his decision-making. He can't control what he does as well as you and I can. And because of that, that means that he is less responsible. Now, keep in mind, I'm not saying cut him loose. I'm not saying he's insane. I'm not saying he doesn't know the difference between right and wrong. I'm saying spare his life. Make him spend the rest of his life in prison. But because of these mental problems that are not of his making, he deserves a life sentence. And that may not be accurate, but I just said that he's, he deserves that. He's earned it. No doubt about that. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to minimize anything. Eric clearly deserves punishment. And I suspect you're having thoughts along those lines as well. And one of my fears is that you're going to be angry toward Eric. You're going to be angry at the guy who calls you to look at those pictures of that cut-up body of Mr. Martin. You're going to be angry at someone who attacks an 86-year-old man, and that's natural. I understand that. But again, you assured me that that wouldn't be the basis for your decision, that you would decide this case on the law and the evidence as jurors in this case. I know that when those pictures were up here, it moved some of you to tears. I know it affected people in the audience. I know when you heard he was suspected of another murder, you probably reacted to that as well. I don't know whether that was tears or just anger or what, but the natural reaction would be to react to that. When you heard that he told the police, I killed Christy O'Pry, I suspect you got a little angry again. But again, 
this case is to be decided on the evidence. I understand your anger. That is a human reaction. Please don't let it be the basis for your decision. We've offered a number of items of evidence in consideration of mitigation. And I want to run through these fairly quickly. Again, let's identify when we're talking about here. Mitigation is not an excuse. It's trying to answer the question, why did he do these things? How could something like this happen? Excuses are something we dealt with in that first trial. We're beyond that. We're at mitigation, a legal term. First one is what we've already talked about. He's got a mental disease or defect that is short of insanity. And again, I'm not saying that he didn't know the difference between right and wrong. He did, but his brain doesn't work right. He is seriously ill, according to the medical professionals. He has a long-standing problem that has never been treated. Should have been dealt with years ago. But for whatever reason, it wasn't. For whatever reason. I suspect there are a lot of people like Eric walking the streets today. In fact, the state may even argue that there are a lot of people like him on the streets who don't kill. And that's true. But everybody reacts to things differently. You heard one of the doctors use the term stressors, and I think that's a psychologist's term. That's just things that come to affect us in our day-to-day life. We all have problems. Some of those stress us out a little bit more than other things, but some people react to those differently too. And I suspect you know that. You may have some people in your family who get worked up over the smallest things that you mean nothing. But to other people, they're important things that may cause them to worry about it overnight. It may cause them to argue with somebody over something that is really inconsequential. There clearly are mental problems here. Please recognize that. Secondly, Eric was under the control of another individual, Susie Arthur. Shouldn't even have to say this name because, frankly, it occurred to me we've heard that name, Beverly, Suzanne Arthur, more than we've heard Eric Mickelson. Who was it who had the relationship with Charles Martin? Beverly Suzanne Arthur. Who was it that had the check from Charlie Martin from sometime in 2006? Remember that cutoff check that still had the date on it? It still had the signature Charles Martin that was found in the home of Beverly Suzanne Arthur. Who was it that had the drug paraphernalia at her house? Susie. Who was it that was on camera at the bank? Susie. Who was it that was cashing checks? Susie. 
I could go on and on and on. Susie did so many things. Susie was the contact with Charles Martin. Susie was the one who went to his house repeatedly. Susie was the one who got things from him. Susie was, was the one who got money from him. Eric mentioned on the tape that he did it for Susie. And I think that was pretty telling. It also raises a question of, you know, how do you view that tape? Do you accept everything on it? The state is in a, in a kind of a trick bag there because there's some stuff on there that they like, and then there's some stuff on there that they don't like. But it seems to me it's kind of hard to say. Well, believe him when he says this, but don't believe him when he says that. And the that that I'm referring to is when he says, I didn't intend to kill anybody. The other that is when he says, there was no plan. There was no plan. We just went over there. So the state wants you to believe him when he describes killing Charles Martin. When he says, I did, Charlie. But they don't want you to think about the part where he says, but I didn't intend to do that. Or I, I, I didn't plan it. It was Beverly. And I suggest to you that taking that tape as a whole confirms all of that for you. Beverly was the one who benefited from this. Beverly Suzanne Martin. Beverly was the one who had the need she shared with Eric. Certainly, his cocaine addiction was fed by this, and that's why he was a willing participant. And no doubt about that, I'm not trying to dispute that. But if he is under the influence, if he is acting at the direction of Susie, again, that reduces his culpability. If he's not the mastermind behind this, I think we ought to be focusing on who is the one that made the decisions. Who's the one that got him to do it? Who's the one who really stirred all this up? That's Susie. Another area of mitigation, I just categorize generally as Eric's family. You saw his brother up there, brother with a serious illness, unable to work these days, but he says he needs his brother. Whether that is, a, is as an organ donor or just a, a support, that was his main contribution here. I need my brother. I suspect that probably tugged at your heartstrings a little bit when you heard that. Eric's son, Ryan, we saw the pictures of him earlier. Young man just turned 18. Young man who is trying to search out his father, apparently. A young man who, according to his grandmother, wants to be his father. Why is that mitigation? 
it tells you that Eric is not alone, an evil person. A Satan wouldn't have friends. He wouldn't have his family supporting him. His mother still supports him even after Eric, because of his addiction, stole money from her. Ryan still supports him even though he knows of his problems. He knows his dad is in jail and on trial for first-degree murder. Chris coming to court and testifying supports him actively. And I think that's important to remember. He's got a support system. He's got a family who want to hear from him and want to be able to communicate with him. They feel there's something that Eric can give them, whether it's love, support, whatever you want to call it. They're there. I got to talk a little bit about Tina Mickelson, Eric's mother. And boy, that was hard for her to get up there, just as you can imagine. Her son is on trial. She's already got one son who's very sick, but takes the time to come from Ohio to hear, to testify, to try and help out his brother. You know, she's just got to be worried over Chris and his health issues. You know that she's worried over Eric because she appears on some of those tapes. Eric continues to call her and refers to her for support. When times are low. You probably have figured out what I learned a couple years ago. That Tina has a heart of gold. Tina is a mother. Like most other mothers. And she's going to support her boys no matter what. But I think of what Tina is going through. She lost her husband under pretty bad circumstances. Heart attack, running through Dallas, Fort Worth Airport. She's pretty much on her own now. She got one son in jail and one son with a very serious illness. And yet, she's doing her best to stand by Eric as well. Might be easy for her to say, you know, I just can't do that. It's too painful. But she didn't say that. She came through for him. And she talked to you. And she told you about growing up. We don't know what caused Eric to take the turns that he did. She said she had some clues. She must have missed a lot of things in dealing with Eric's cocaine addiction. She probably wishes that she had done something now. But she didn't. And I don't think we should fault her for that but she is still standing by Eric. He has a family. He has support. He has people who love him, for which he can't return that. And I suggest to you that the Eric you heard calling his mother on those tapes is a man who is worried about his mama. This is a guy in his 30s. And he's still calling his mother to say, hey, don't worry about me. You heard him talking to the police. He was worried about the news people and other people harassing her 
at the house. He didn't want that to happen. He was worried about how she was going to think. He was worried because was she going to want to visit him? He didn't really like her visiting the prison. He was worried about his mother. Even when he's undergoing all of the interrogation for first-degree murder. That tells me, and I hope it tells you, that there's something good inside Eric. He's not completely evil. A completely evil guy would be saying, Mom, send me a hundred bucks. He would be demanding it. Eric wasn't. Eric was understanding. He was worried about his mother. The other areas of mitigation, Eric's criminal record. Now, it's kind of odd that we would be saying a guy with a criminal record is mitigation. And yeah, he's got three or four felony convictions, but what are they? Eric broke into a vending machine. He's got coin-operated device charges. He's got theft charges. Eric was stealing quarters and nickels and dimes. Maybe some bills, too, out of the vending machines. Eric wasn't robbing people on the streets with a gun. Eric wasn't breaking into people's houses and stealing things. Eric wasn't stealing cars. And I'm not minimizing that all the way because they are felony convictions, but, you know, it doesn't get much lower than that. He wasn't violent. Eric, because of his mental limitations, made a living by breaking into vending machines. You would think that he could find a more lucrative line of criminal work, but he couldn't even do that. He was literally in the nickel and dime world. The final error of mitigation is that Eric cooperated with the police. Now, when we're asking the police about that, I know the state took some offense at that. They thought that was kind of strange for us to be commending Eric for, I guess, doing what they thought he should have done from the beginning. But Eric did that to do what he did. Eric didn't have to talk for as many hours as he did the police. Eric didn't have to take them all around to all those locations that he did. Eric didn't have to point out the specific dumpster. Eric didn't have to say, that's the bag. If you had opened it up, you could see this. Kind of gruesome to think about. But in fact, Eric cooperated with the police when it would have been easy to say, not, I'm not saying anything. Not helping anybody out. Eric chose the route of explaining to the police how they could find Charles Martin again. I think he should get some credit for that. The police thought he should get some credit for that. We know that again from the tape. Now, let me read to you from the transcript again. This is Eric asking a question. Actually, it's the police, I guess, starting. What I was getting at earlier is the more cooperation you know that you do, 
on it, the better it would be on that. Eric's answer, well, the more remorseful it makes me look. Question. No, just you know, at this point, you know you can make life easier. This is the police talking. And you can make my life harder, right? And it goes both ways. You see what I mean? And so you know me and Patrick write in our reports that you were cooperative. You took us. You showed us. You know, and you didn't, you know, when it comes down to it all, it goes on, it goes in your favor. It all goes in your favor. Now, police are telling him that if you help us, we're going to write it down in the report and we're going to tell other people about that. It goes in your favor. It helps you. Well, so far, it's helped Eric get charged with first degree murder and being put on trial for his life. I'm asking you to do what the police essentially said they would do. Give Eric credit for cooperating. I think they're saying that, and that they're saying it honestly, because they know they would have been helpless without Eric in there. They wouldn't have found the stuff. They did it in a fashion that they did it without they couldn't have done it without Eric's assistance. Eric cooperated. Eric should get some benefit from that. Why would he do that? I think, again, that's a sign of remorse, if not a conscience. And again, we're talking about death penalty being reserved for the worst of the worst. Somebody that is evil, a person wouldn't worry about anything like that. Wouldn't have a conscience. Wouldn't have any kind of remorse. Wouldn't lead the police back to the dumpsters. Somebody that's evil wouldn't do that. Eric did. That tells you that Eric has some good in him. Eric has some remorse. Eric has a conscience. He's got a spark of humanity. that It's, it's worth building on. It's, it's important to remember the loss of the Martin family. Seemed to be a terrific extended family. They had the last years of this patriarch of the family taken away. The conviction of Eric, I hope, is going to ease some of their fears that you heard about. They will know that he will never get out of jail. Eric is not going to be on the streets again. Eric can't hurt anybody on the streets of Shreveport or Caddo Parish. The minister at the church I go to talks a lot about a particular word, grace. For him, grace covers a lot of ground. Of course, works it into sermons, but he works it in just conversations as well. For him, grace is how you respond to other people. It is acting with a sense of respect, with empathy for understanding people, with patience for some people can be an act of grace. It's how I treat those who may have greater problems than you do, whether they are physical or mental 
or financial or whatever. It's understanding what they're going through and being patient with them and talking and seeing if you can help. That's grace. It can also be to extend to those who are better off than you. It's a way of treating people with respect, with understanding. It is a way of life. That's grace. The other word is mercy. And I think we all know what mercy is. It's obvious. It is a sense of redemption. It's giving somebody a second chance. It is delivering punishment less than the maximum that is allowed. Mercy is different levels of forgiveness. And I don't think is in any small coincidence that we have churches in this state that use both of those terms. There's a Grace Methodist Church in Ruston. There's our Lady of Mercy Church in school in Baton Rouge. And I think they deliberately, deliberately use those terms of grace and mercy because they fit in with the way that they would like people to live. If you apply grace and mercy in the way that you react to other people and the way you treat other people, then the world would be a whole lot better. So I'm asking you to consider the punishment for Eric using those two words, grace and mercy. Understand that he is not in complete control of his mind and his actions. Understand that his moral culpability is lessened by his mental illness, his inability to control his drug addictions, and make no mistake about it, when you're addicted to drugs, you do lose a sense of control over that. The drugs take control of your body and your mind. They create a need for that. Dr. Beaver explained a little bit, but they provide something. Sometimes a calming influence. They provide something that most addicts think is a positive, and if you take that away, they feel bad about it, so they continue to use. And again, if it's taken away, it creates a greater desire for that. That's the nature of addiction. It becomes a physical attraction, a physical need. That's what Dr. Beaver was talking about when he spoke earlier. And I'll be direct. We're asking for mercy for Eric. And I know what the logical question is after that. Why should he get mercy when he didn't have any mercy for Mr. Charles Martin? And I suggest to you that Eric is not just a cold-blooded killer. It's not a situation where he just randomly chose a house and went in and killed somebody. He was following Susie in and wound up with the death of Charles Martin. Susie was the one who wound up with the car. Susie is the one that wound up with the money. But Eric is not just a cold-blooded killer killing anybody on the street. Eric's got serious mental problems that's never been treated. His mind doesn't work like other people's. He's seriously ill. And that is something that is not his choice. His brain doesn't work like everybody else. And that's not his choice. That's the way his brain developed. Whether genetically or because of some intervening factor 
when he was growing older. All of those things should reduce his culpability, reduce his responsibility for his actions. Again, we're not talking about excuses here. What we're talking about is a reason to give him a life sentence. A life sentence without parole, probation, or suspension of sentence. A sentence which will keep him in custody for the rest of his life. Why mercy? For somebody who didn't give mercy? Forgiveness, I suggest, is appropriate for all. Because even the least of us have some good. We talked about that already. We found some good in Eric. He cooperated with the police. He exhibited some sense of remorse. He exhibited a conscience. Look at the Eric in jail who calls his mother and worries about her again. He has some good in him. He is not the worst of the worst. The alternative punishment? Death and, well, life. Well, life means life in Louisiana. A number of people have said that a life sentence can be and should be considered to be more punishment than death. For a lot of people, death is kind of an easy way out. It's an odd thing to say, but you think about it, there may be some truth there. Just like an Edgar Allan Poe story, Eric's brain is going to be calling, telling him every day when he wakes up, you're inside a cell because of what you did. You're paying the price for what you did to Charles Martin. His brain is going to wake him up to the fact you can't get out of the cell until somebody tells you you can. You can't just go see your son. You can't just call your mother. You have no freedom. Your brain is going to be telling you that every day. And your brain is going to be telling you that because of what you did. And he realizes he has no personal freedom, no rights, no privileges, no opportunity to live with family, no chance to get out of Angola, and he'll suffer. He'll learn to blame himself. He may accept responsibility for that and try and make something out of himself. Maybe he can get involved with some prison ministry. Maybe it's just writing his son in any number of things. We would hope that Eric would grow from this experience. But make no mistake about it. It's punishment, and his brain will be working on him. You make this decision by forming a personal moral judgment. You heard me talk about that a number of times during the jury process. You decide what is mitigating. It can be even something that I haven't talked about today. Even if you find two aggravating circumstances and only one mitigating circumstance, you can still vote for life. You can find two aggravating circumstances and can be completely unsure about mitigation and vote for life. You can always vote for life. One of the things that we talked about is respect. With a number of you, I talked about the notion of your religious beliefs. And a number of you agreed that you have religious beliefs. And they're pretty well settled in you. Religious beliefs that guide you in your day-to-day lives. And you agreed 
that there are people who have religious beliefs different from you. It may even be your next door neighbor. And that's the nature of our society. It's one of the great things of our society. We allow people to have different opinions, different beliefs. And that's particularly true in a religious situation. But if you apply that same reasoning to what you're going to have to do in the jury room, I think it's reasonable to think that you will go through a process and decide this case in your own mind. You will do your very best job. You will listen to the evidence. You'll listen to other folks. And you'll eventually arrive at a verdict that you think is the right one. And when you do, you're going to expect respect for what you have gone through and what you have decided. If you find that somebody else in that room has a view different from yours, they should be entitled to that same respect. And each of you told me that you would give it to the other person. Now, Louisiana is a little bit different in that we've got two verdicts that everybody talks about, life and death. But I suggest to you that there is a third verdict available to you. The law says it is okay to agree or disagree, and if your verdict is we disagree, then the law imposes a life sentence. The law provides for that situation. So again, I think there are three possible verdicts here. Life without the benefit of parole rights, death sentence, and we agree to disagree. All of those are verdicts. Death is a permanent punishment, no doubt about it. Death is an absolute punishment, and it should be reserved for the worst of the worst. It should be for those who are absolutely without any redeeming value. It should be saved and used only when we have to. Eric has value. We heard that from the doctors and some of the other folks who said, if you take cocaine away from Eric, if you treat his mental illness, which have never been treated, he should do well. Now, whether or not cocaine is available in prison, there may be, but it's not going to be available like it is on the streets. So one way to take that away from Eric is to give him a life sentence. It takes away one of the things that destroyed his life. If we can get the Department of Corrections to treat him, that's an added bonus to you. If he can get treatment for his mental illnesses and we can take away the cocaine, I suspect we got a pretty good prisoner. Maybe not a model prisoner. I don't know. But I think we got a pretty good prisoner who's, who's got some carpenter skills. If you take away the things that ruined his life, Eric could prosper. If Ryan here... Sorry. If Ryan were here, I think you would feel the love from him for his dad. You saw that in Tina. She still loves her son just like any mother would, but she expressed it very well. Ryan wants to get to know his dad. He's not ashamed of him. 
He wants to learn more about him. Let's Eric's mind and conscience be a part of your punishment. Sentence Eric to the rest of his life in prison without parole and understand that he will be punished every day of his life for that. His brain will tell him, you're here because of what you did. Your freedoms are gone because of what you did. Let his mind darken every day with guilt. But let him live. Thank you. All right, y'all. I'm going to conclude that episode. They made it through the closing arguments, right? Now, one more. The prosecution um, it is fire. The rebuttal to everything the defense just said. And we'll get through that uh, um, next week. And I want to thank the patrons and convicts and Apple subscribers. The, the bonus is coming. I hope you're enjoying your commercial-free early releases. I love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. I want you to understand I'm actually... This week, I am out of town in another city. I'm not going to say the location. I am filming for Cold Case Files, uh, another special that we got coming up. And I'll, 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 I'll tell you about it as soon as I can. I'm also going to be recording some um, – well, I'll tell you about that later. So we just got a lot of exciting things coming. Don't forget about the Real Life Real Crime Community app. Um, the – you know, our Patreon, uh, convicts, Apple subscribers, um, all you lifers. I love and appreciate each and every one of you. The podcast awards are coming up. I don't know if we won the finals or not. I mean, we made the finals in every category because of y'all, because you rock. And but we'll find out if we win any awards or not. I think that's like September the 30th. And... That's it. I just love y'all. If you get a chance... Uh, go leave us a review uh, for Real Life Real Crime Original in Louisiana, Oregon Procurement Agency, LOPA. You know it's my jam, people. Uh, always will be. So many people are dying every day waiting on organ transplants. And if you want to be an organ donor, you do not have to be from the state of Louisiana. You could be from... Seattle, Washington. Go to lopa.org, sign up, take two minutes, sign up, give the gift of life and everything else they do. Be a hero, y'all. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Peace. Yeah, the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to and during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? And the wolf is at your door. You running so
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co. 